Tonight's reading is Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go go back back with with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word. Well, good evening, uh, evening one and all. If we've not met, uh, my name is Matt Fuller. It'd be lovely to do so. Uh, just a, a little word of explanation then. Um, aren't we doing Philippians this term? Yes, we're doing Philippians this term. Uh, but we've hit pause at chapter three, and we're spending a month in the book of Ruth. Then we'll return to Philippians and finish it uh, this side of Christmas. Don't panic if you're a fan of Philippians. Uh, We're just in Ruth for a little bit of uh, variety. And uh, many thanks to our team of readers 
multiple readers, ooh, <laughs> ooh. Now, it isn't just for the sake of it. Uh, it is because we come to Ruth, it's a story, duh, uh, it's a story, um, and the teaching of Scripture through a narrative or story, it's not explicit, like uh, for those of you studying the book of Romans, this is what God says and this is how you respond, it's all very clear and logical, it's not that, or even Jesus explicitly teaching in John's gospel if you're studying that. It's, the teaching is implicit, you have to be sensitive to the genre. It's a story. And like all good storytellers, God, the Holy Spirit, he drops breadcrumbs all the way through the four chapters of Ruth. So it's only at the end you go, oh, I see. So if you are going to miss a week, to do, this is a great series to try and catch up on so you get the, the, the plot of it. It's a story. And uh, God teaches us often through stories. So I want to try and bring that out. And hopefully the readers kindly will do that for us. Enough. Let me pray, and uh, then we'll turn to look at this wonderful account. Our great God and Father, thank you that in your wisdom, you give us enormous variety and richness in your word. You do give us explicit statements and clear logic that uh, we wrestle with and have to follow. You give us stories that get under our skin. They have memorable characters that make us ponder your ways and dwell upon your goodness. Please, be at work even now that we would do just that, ponder your ways, and again have our confidence in your goodness, encouraged, restored, begun, perhaps. But we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I say then, a month in the book of Ruth, and um, I think the main thing we'll learn over, over this month is that the Lord is kind. That is, in many ways, the dominant thought of uh, the book of Ruth, that the Lord is kind. I hope you know that. God is really kind. Now, look, there are lots of different themes and ideas going on in the book of Ruth, and uh, we'll look at them as, uh, as they come up. But this dominant idea is of his kindness. Ben alluded to it earlier. His steadfast love, kindness, translate it how you desire. And the Lord has recorded the book of Ruth in the Scriptures to say, this is what I'm like. Know that I'm like this. I, the Lord your God, am kind. So my hope is and my prayer is that uh, over the next month, well, as much as anything else, we just enjoy his kindness. I mean, that's the dominant thing we're meant to take away from the book of Ruth. We enjoy his kindness. And I think if we get that right, it will encourage us to be kind to others. I think that's a secondary implication of it. Kindness. Sort of word gets banded around quite, I mean, uh, last week or so, it's been used loads, isn't it? Kindness. Uh, in, in, in political discourse, we must be more kind, by which I think people just mean polite. Uh, we must be more polite to one another. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, and that would be a good thing in public discourse. But more than that, biblically, 
kindness is above and beyond what's expected. That's what the Lord is like. In that sense, he's not just polite. I'm very, you know, it's good that the Lord has nice manners. Not that. He goes above and beyond in his kindness to you and me. Now let's orientate ourselves a little bit then uh, in uh, Ruth. Uh, where are we? Chapter 1 and verse 1, good place to start. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay, let's ask a few little questions here. Uh, where are we? We're in the promised land. Now, whatever, as a Christian, you come to read the Old Testament, we need to remember the promised land, Israel, it's not so much a place. It is a place. It's a physical place and obviously exists on a map. You can point to it on a map, on ancient maps, and it sort of looks similar now on a modern map. You can point to it on a map, but it's not fundamentally what it is. It's when you read Israel, particularly as, with, as a Christian, you, you read Promised Land. It's place of blessing. First and foremost is how we're meant to read it. It's a place of rest. It's a place of freedom from any enemies. It's a place of abundance in food and provision. That's the promised land. That's where they are. A place of spiritual blessing, life to the full. Now, Christians don't live in the promised land. I mean, London has its perks and its downsides. It's not the promised land, and nor is Jerusalem today, or New York, or wherever you think, um, none of the, you can't find the promised land on the globe anymore. This side of the work of Jesus Christ, this is just a little rule of thumb, but when you read about blessings and they're physical, and they're, they're, they're sort of tangible physical things in the Old Testament, as a Christian you think, how do those spirit, how do I read about blessings now? And you read them, they come to us in Christ, in the church, and then in the future, those three ways are a good rule of thumb. So we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and find every spiritual blessing if you're a Christian. Now, we receive some of those blessings. Some of the blessings now are very much part of when we come to church, being part of a church family. But ultimately, they await us in the future when we arrive in glory in the new creation. But whenever you read in the Old Testament anything about, oh, like, 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 um, there's always they had plenty of food and plenty of money, and that's, you know, and how does that all work? Think, you become a Christian Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. The church will often provide your brothers and sisters when you're in need, so you're never lacking, ultimately, in the new creation. So that's where we are. We're in the promised land. That's where we start. Don't stay there very long. Um, that's where. When? When are we talking about? Uh, we're going quickly here. Verse 1. Uh, in the days when the judges ruled. Um, if you know anything about your Old Testament history, the, there's the period of the judges ruling. It's about 400 years, and it's basically grim. It's a real low point, nadir, in Israel's history. So we've just had the book of Judges, and you can just read the last verse of it. In uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, if you've got a Bible open, just before we get into Ruth. We're told, here's the summary, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. You don't want to live in a land where everyone does whatever they want. 
You got a bigger car? I'll steal your car. I like your clothes. Give it now. I'll just take, take, take whatever I want. And it was, if you read particularly the last three chapters of the book of Judges, it's horrible. It's really horrible. So where are we? We're in the promised land. But when are we? It's, right, it's coming to the end of the period of the Judges. It's a miserable time when God's people are in a terrible state. What's happening? There's a famine in the land. Well, how can that be? The promised land is the place of blessing. There's meant to be abundance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God had always said, if you turn away from me, if you fail to love me, if you fail to love your fellow Israelites, then I'll withdraw my blessing. So Old Testament, famine equals curse. Famine means God's people have been behaving terribly. That's what's going on. So we're in the promised land, the wonderful place of blessing, but it's a terrible period, the period of the judges. Therefore, God has said, I'm withdrawing my blessing until you turn back to me, until you repent. And that is, and it's not, may not have been obvious when it was read, the dominant idea of this chapter, chapter one. Twelve times you get the little word turn or return or gets sometimes trying to say go back. One little word in uh, Hebrew, shuv, if you care. Um, turn, return, repent. Same word, you just choose how you translate it, and you'll see all three translations in, even in the book of Ruth. Turn, return, repent. Twelve times. Um, which way will you turn? Will you turn to the Lord? and know his blessing, will you turn away from him? That's a mistake. And so we'll get there eventually, but we'll work our way through different turns in the book. But the main point for you and for me tonight is we need to turn to the place of blessing. And for us, that's Jesus. We turn to the one who blesses. Keep turning back to him. Four turns, four turns in the, uh, the text. If you've got a handout, I've underlined them. A family turned, three women wonder which way to turn. Ruth turned, Naomi returned. Um, we'll work our way through them, okay? Turning, turning, turning. First then, a family turned from God to pagan Moab. What do you do if there's a famine in the promised land when it's meant to be a place of abundance and blessing? What you should do the Old Testament would have told you until now, is say, Lord, I'm sorry. I turn back to you. We as a nation, Israel, we turn back to you. We're told about one family that doesn't do that. There's a famine in the land, verse 1. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They've turned the wrong way. Here we go. There's our little man. That's what we're going to talk about. Which way are you going to turn? I forgot to mention him. There he is. Uh, thanks for bringing him up. A little person. Which way turn? So they turn badly. Now, you might think to yourself, what's so bad about that? They, there's no food in Bethlehem. They hear there's food over here, and they go to Moab. Okay. <laughs> if you've read it, the Old Testament at this point, that's not a neutral decision. Moab is a disaster. 
So um, back in Genesis chapter 19, Lot gets hammered, gets drunk, sleeps incestuously with his two daughters, and one of them gives birth to the nation of Moab. That's where the nation of Moab begins. So not an auspicious beginning. Then um, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, they, they leave Egypt, so they're on their wandering way, on wandering way uh, along the way to the promised land. And in Numbers 22 to 24, they pass through the land of Moab. And the Moabites say, well, we don't think very much of these people. Let's hire a magician to curse them. It's bonkers. But that's what they decide. Let's hire Balaam the sorcerer to curse them. So this is not a friendly land. Uh, Numbers 25, um, that doesn't work. Uh, God still blesses the nation. Numbers 25, um, Actually, they, the Moabites say, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Let's send all our women to try and seduce the men and take them off to worship our gods. And that happens. As recently as uh, Judges, uh, early on in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3, Moab has invaded and conquered the land of Israel. It's a sort of fairly famous story of, of Tabi Eglon, um, uh, is the sort of the bully, the dictator who's ruled. At... That's Moab. There's sort of historical enmity between these two lands. So when Elimelech and his family go, hmm, not a lot of food, I'll tell you what, let's go to Moab. It's not a neutral decision. It's not, hmm, not a lot of jobs in London. I'll move to Paris. It's much more like, uh, hmm, I'm going to go and move to Afghanistan. I think I'd really like to join that Taliban regime. That's, that's what I want to associate with. Those are the people, they're my kind of people. I'm going to go there. It's that sort of decision. That's not the right place to go. So this turning, there they are in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem literally means house of bread, okay? It's not at the moment. But that's where they are. It's the promised land, the place of God's blessing, place of rest and plenty and life to the full, which way should we turn? Oh, let's turn and go to Moab, the land of curse, God's enemies, a place of hostility, a place of rebellion, a place where we'll be slaves. Let's do that. So this is a bad decision that they take here, a terrible decision. The family turned from God to pagan Moab. Well, let's read what happens to them. Let's pick up the pace a little bit, otherwise um, this could be a long lock-in. Um, verse 2. The man's that we give that we give names now. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. Verse three: tragedy. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Tragedy. Naomi, go home. Naomi, go home from this land. But she doesn't. Instead, these two sons, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And they'd lived there about 10 years. Oh, golly. Don't marry Moabite women. Again, the, 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 the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 7, is really explicit. You don't do that. This is disobedient for them to do that. But they stay there. And uh, further tragedy Verse 5, after 10 years, Marlon and Killian also died. Naomi left without her two sons, without her husband. No grandchildren either. 10 years of marriage, no grandchildren. Oh. Oh. 
Now, caution. The family of Elimelech, they, they, they suffer terribly when they turn away from the land of blessing. But don't say, well, bad decisions always lead to bad consequences, because they don't. Sometimes bad decisions, nothing happens, actually. You get away with them sometimes. Don't say that. Because I imagine other families would have, I mean, we're not told explicitly, but I imagine they weren't the only family in the whole of Judah that went to, uh, to Moab where there's bread. But we're not told about them and their suffering. The Bible never allows you to draw a straight line between a, a sin, a rebellion against God, and you personally suffering. It never allows you to draw that line. So a good example is John chapter 9. Uh, the disciples say to, uh, to Jesus, this, this guy who's blind, is that his fault or his parents' fault? Which one of them sinned? And Jesus says, you can't do that. Sometimes in a, in a fallen world, stuff goes wrong. It's not always someone's fault. So don't draw that line, okay? Don't, don't ever do that unless the Bible tells you you can do that. No, so don't say bad decisions always lead to bad consequences because they don't. Sometimes you can take a terrible decision and get away with it. But do say bad decisions are always bad. They're always bad because they're disobedient. For us, well, remember, in the Old Testament, faith is tied to physical locations. To leave Bethlehem in Judah and to walk away and go to Moab, that is, I'm walking away from God. I'm walking away from all his blessings. I'm turning my back on him. So this side of the cross, the equivalent will be a Christian walking away from Jesus. And so for you and me, we can learn the lesson from this family. First one, we're told they're going there for a while. Let's just go there for a while. But of course, by the time we get to verse 4, it's 10 years it's more than a while. We might think, I probably shouldn't allow myself to drift spiritually. But, um, oh, look, I'll sort, things out. I'll sort things out later. I mean, this year, there's just too much going on. And the Christian life's just got it on the back burner. Um, I, I started to look at Christian things. And I was quite interested, went on a Christianity Explore course. I thought that was quite interesting. But I haven't got time to really engage with it now. Later, 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 later. I'll get around to it later. Don't do that. Because what's a little while can become a long while. Don't turn away from the place of blessing. Don't turn away from Jesus. Don't turn away from his church, his people. We might think, to be honest, right now, life is in crisis. I'm in a famine. Uh, I'm in a famine of some sort, and uh, God is of no use to me. My life has gone wrong, uh, and God is of no use to me right now. I, I need to go to Moab. I, I need to take a decision, which I know biblically I probably shouldn't do. But God hasn't provided, so I've got to provide for myself. Don't, don't do that. In the short term, you might think it's the right thing. It, it, it might appear to provide in the short term. It's never the right thing. It's always the right thing to trust the Lord. Trust his kindness. A family turned from God 
to pagan Moab. That's a mistake. The bulk of the chapter is verses 6 to 15. So we get the destitute women, and then they're just wondering, which way do we turn? What do we do? Where do we go? Uh, the destitute women wonder which way to turn in verses 6 to 15. Turn, return, go back. Always, it's the same word, just translated in different ways, okay? Uh, verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and returned on the road that would return them to the land of Judah. Okay, well, that's good. One thing we need to understand uh, to get this right. This, we may not like this, okay, but you just got to understand this. This is a patriarchal society in a way that we just find hard to fathom. So every male Israelite gets given a stake in the promised land. It's not just a plot of land that you can grow your peas and beans in. It is, it is your investment. It's your part of God's blessing. And it's inherited father to son, father to son, father to son. If there are no men, you don't inherit. You lose your place. You've got no stake in God's kingdom anymore. It's brutal. Again, most of the income comes from men working at this stage in, in, in history. If you've got no sons, when you're old and can't do anything, when Naomi gets old and can't do any work and she's got no sons, you've got nothing. There's no pensions. There's no welfare state. You've got nothing. So when we're told that three women go back to the land, we're meant to realize these three women are absolutely destitute. These are three asylum seekers arriving at the border with nothing but the clothes they stand in. Got no inheritance, no one to earn the money. I know we think, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. I know. That's just how it was centuries and centuries ago. But you need to understand that to feel their anxiety, to feel their desperation, to sense their hopelessness. That's how they're stumbling back. However, they seem to get near to the border crossing. In verse 8, Naomi's been silly churning things over in her mind a little bit and um, so comes up with a, hold on a minute, what are we doing? Verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, return, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. What are you doing? I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing for you, says Naomi. For goodness sake, go back to mum and dad. You can remarry. You can have a life in Moab. And they say, verse 10, no, no, Naomi, we'll go back with you to your people. So she says again for the second time, verse 11, no, no, no. return, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Can you give me any good reason you'd come with me? Uh, this, 
Uh, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Now again, to understand what's going on. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the law there, if a married man died without a son, pretty much, if I died, I'm a married man, I, I, but I've got no children. If I die, I do, but just for this. Um, uh, if I die and there's no one to take on the land, my closest unmarried male relative has an obligation to marry my widow so that my name carries on and there's someone to inherit the land. That's just how the law operated, okay? And you might not like it, this is how it was. Naomi's saying, I've got no one. I've got no relatives for you girls. You come with me back to Israel, back to Judah, um, rather, and um, you, got no, you, you won't remarry. You'll have no children. It's just the three of us. Why would you come with me? Go back to mum and dad. Verse 13, uh, no, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You see, the author now is really stressing quite how miserable she is. Oh, my life is rubbish. Well, verse 14 they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Oh, we'll have to return to this next time. Clung to her. Binds herself closely to her. It's, we'll have to deal with this next time, next time. It's a covenant word. It's real commitment. God binds himself to his people, clings to. I'm with you, says Ruth. Verse 15, for the third time, Naomi says, don't be stupid. Um, it doesn't say that literally, but verse 15, Luke said, Naomi, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Go back. Look, Orpah, she, she's sensible. She's the sensible one. Ruth, if you come with me, you've never been to Judah you're leaving behind the country you've lived in all your life. You're leaving behind your culture, the only one you've ever known. You're gods, and you'll never marry. You come with me, you're a widow for all your life. No children, no grandchildren, nothing. Don't be a fool, Ruth. Don't come with me. Now, those are not the words of a mature believer. <laughs> we'll come back to that. But... What would you do? See, that is true. That slide is true. But, but what's in front of you? What you see in front of you is, oh, I leave behind everything. Everything I'm familiar with, my mom and dad and the possibility of marriage and my culture. I leave it all. It's a big deal. What would you do? Well, the women wonder which way to turn. Last two more briefly. Uh, third then, Ruth turns to the Lord of blessing. 
in verses 16 to 18. Verses 16 and 17 are the best bit of the whole chapter if you hadn't clocked it. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back, return from you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I'm with you, Naomi. I'm giving up everything for you. That is wonderfully kind. <laughs> I mean, wow. You got nothing, Naomi, and I know you got nothing, and I'll be with you. It's extraordinary commitment to Naomi, and also a declaration of faith in the Lord. Verse 16, despite Naomi's flaky faith, Ruth has learned enough. Your God is my God, and there's not just a sort of fickle use of the language because of the um, commitment. If may the Lord, his special name, the, the name he revealed only to Israel, may the Lord, I, I know this God, deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. It's a declaration of faith here. It's a very costly decision Ruth takes. Somehow, she knows this, that going to Bethlehem is the right place. It's hard to read this without, to my mind, thinking of Jesus' words, numerous places in, in, in Matthew, um, Matthew Mark, but uh, in Luke 9, Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But there is a denying of self. It's a costly decision. Don't underestimate it. Everything in front of Ruth says, go to Moab. But she gets that going to Bethlehem is the right place. And she's kind. It is the first massive turning point in the, the book of Ruth, in the Lord restoring blessing to Naomi and her family. Ruth makes this costly decision to turn to the Lord. For us, that's turning to Jesus. It may appear costly to turn to him. But you will not regret it. For he is the source of blessing. You know that now, spiritually, you know it in part through belonging to his people. You know it fully in eternity. It's a costly decision, but you'll never regret it. Last name, we returned. But she still couldn't trust she returned to Judah, but she still couldn't trust. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to uh, Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Not a big town, Bethlehem. Ooh, Naomi's back. Is it? Yes. Hasn't she aged? Well, it has been 10 years. Looks much worse than that. Um, have you seen oh, all of that? No doubt. No doubt. Uh, all of that takes place. She's returned to the place of blessing and no doubt she's aged, but inwardly, inwardly she seems to still be the same woman who left Bethlehem. She's unable to trust the Lord. And so she says, you've got to change my name. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. 
So her demand for a change of name summarizes where she's at. God has been very bitter to me. Now, what do you make of Naomi in this chapter? Funny, funny old fish, Naomi. I mean, she does some things right. So positively, uh, verse 6, she accepts that the Lord is the source of food returning to Bethlehem. She, she believes that he is in charge and sovereign over all things. Verses 8 and 9, she, she blesses her daughters-in-law in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, I hope he blesses you. There, there's a faith there. Of course, negatively, she's complicit in her husband turning away and going to Moab. She is the one who allows her sons to marry Moabites. Verse 15, she commends Orpah for turning to foreign gods because it's just more convenient. Here, negatively, she's bitter towards the Lord. She's a pretty mixed bag. I think you'd have to say she's an immature believer. But I, I don't know. You could read a gazillion different opinions, but I don't want to be too hard on Naomi personally. Look, she's not Job. (laughs) Job loses his family, similar to this, loses all his family and his health and his wealth and says, well, look, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Probably doesn't say it in that tone of voice. But he does declare that. Probably says it, you know, that's flippant. He says it through tears. But that is his declaration, which is very different from the Lord has been bitter and dealt with me bitterly. So she's not Job. But to be honest, I'd rather hang out with Naomi, who's honest, than someone who's a sort of superficial believer who just says, well, I'm fine. At least she's honest. Even here, even at the end, verses 20, 21, she she can refer to the Almighty. She's a believer. She's just an immature one who makes bad decisions. Well, I know a few of those. I can be that person sometimes. So I wouldn't be too hard on her even though she gets it wrong. Naomi returned, but she couldn't trust. Okay, that's chapter one. And you could say, great, so where is is God's kindness? I mean, if Ruth is about God being kind, where is God's kindness? Because this is really sad. I mean, objective. It's really sad. You put yourself in their shoes. It's a miserable decade of life. Where is God's kindness? Two things. It's present and it's coming. It is present. Ruth is there. Chapter 1, verse 8. Naomi knows that. You've been really kind to me, Ruth. And to your dead husbands. Come to that in chapter 3. But you you have been really kind, Ruth. And... um, Verse 16, Ruth says, yeah, I'm with you, Naomi. So God's kindness is present. It's just worth observing. It's not the most important point here, but it's worth observing. Often God's kindness to us will come through his people, even when circumstances are pretty grim. It's a small small example in one sense, but um, uh, I, I think probably the lowest... The lowest point in our family life, uh, uh, 2013, we'd adopted a little girl, cut a long story short, we adopted a little girl in 2013. Uh, after a year of her being with us, the adoption order was overturned and uh, we had to say goodbye, having taken this girl which we thought was ours. And um, it broke us, <laughs> actually, as a family, it just broke us. 
Um, but the day after, one of the things that lots of people were kind, a lot of people in the church family who were very kind. Uh, but with, I think one of the ones that stands out, one friend, the day after it happened, he finished work. He drove three hours to see me, to sit with me, to cry with me. For 90 minutes or so, then he drove three hours home. So he was ready for work the next day. And it didn't take away the pain. <laughs> but that kindness, sometimes that keeps you going. It's present, God's kindness, often through his people. It's present and it's coming. It's coming. More is to come. Um, Naomi is going to receive much greater kindness than she gets in chapter one. The one who goes away full, comes back empty, is going to be filled up again by the time we get into uh, chapter four. And the source of all that blessing is going to be Ruth. The strange thing is, in chapter 1, the two of them march back to, uh, to Bethlehem, and uh, verse 19, two women arrive, and uh, verse 20, 21, Naomi speaks and just says, I'm bitter, God has taken everything. There's no mention of Ruth. Presumably Ruth is stood next to her because verse 22, so Naomi uh, returns with Ruth. What Naomi can't see, she just says, my life is miserable. What Naomi can't see is that next to her, Next to her is the one who's going to bring great blessing and fill her up again. It's all going to come through Ruth. And sometimes that's you and me. Life is miserable and we can't see a way out. Actually, it is there. We just don't know it yet. You know, Shawshank Redemption, I think it's still often voted the most popular film of all time. You must have seen it. If you haven't, go home immediately and watch it. Um, if you just watch the first half hour of Shawshank Redemption, it's really miserable. Like a good guy goes to prison and uh, they try to abuse him and, you know, oh, that's really miserable. Why is this film so popular? The end. Oh, the end. The friendship, the richness, the blessing, it's the end. We're only in chapter one. Kindness is coming. So look, for you and for me, what are we to do with Ruth chapter one? Turn to the Lord Jesus. Return to him. You've been a Christian for years. He's the source of blessing. Oh, it may appear costly. It may not look like the right thing to do. It may look like taking your own path is going to be more useful. Turn back to him. Often in this life, blessing will come to you through his people. But ultimately in the future, you'll never, ever regret in eternity that you returned to him, that you kept turning back to him, that you followed him. He's the source of blessing. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, this is a very sad chapter. Not because of great depravity, not because of wickedness that we sometimes read of in the scriptures. It's really sad. A family, yes, they make a bad mistake. They make an immoral decision. But it's so tragic. Father, thank you that even in the midst of this tragedy, there are hints of your kindness coming to Naomi through Ruth. 
Thank you that we know as we read on in the story that there is abundant kindness still to come. Father, would us reading this now, would we turn to Jesus? Would we know that he is the place of blessing? Would we know that turning away from him is stupidity, it's folly, it's madness? For in him is real blessing, security, comfort. Pray for us as a church that we would know that, particularly our lowest times, through the kindness of others. Lord, we look forward to the fulfillment of that blessing in glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.